the Laps Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 188 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about just about every game a little bit. We really won't get to every game, but we're going to talk about a boatload of lacrosse with Syracuse Holy Cross, UNC Richmond, Hopkins Towson, High Point Colgate, Maryland Loyola, Utah Vermont. We're going to talk Denver. We're going to talk Army. We've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to share this with all of your friends and everything like that. But I digress. Uh, actually, no, I don't digress. Before I get into it, as always, go to laxfactor.com. We have a shop where you can get t-shirts, shorts, crap like that. And we're going to be adding a full new apparel line here in the coming week or weeks. So as we put more shows out, we'll tell you about that as well. So let's get into it. I want to start with Syracuse and Holy Cross and holy shit. This game got out of control very quickly went off the chain. Syracuse jumps out to a 9-0 lead by the end of the first quarter, 19-3 uh, to by the end of the half, and it was kind of one of those bloodbaths where you're just like almost feeling bad for Holy Cross. It was all accomplished, really, thanks to Cuse putting nearly all of their shots on cage early on. Holy Cross's poor goalies, uh, A.J. Fox and Dawson Friars, they both got time, and they got fucking shellacked is the only way to say it. They uh, they posted six saves versus 34 shots faced. It was an absolute just massacre of epic proportions. Tucker Dordovic, eight shots, five goals in a dish. Uh, Brendan Curry, five shots, four goals, all in the first quarter nonetheless, and two helpers for Curry, so he had six points. Seabold, seven shots, five goals, one assist, six points each out of Cuse's top three returnees, not counting Hiltz, who sidelined with a shoulder injury. His arm was still in a sling as he stood over there on the sideline with Gary Gate wearing his full-on pimped-out suit. We saw Mikey Berkman. That was an interesting thing. When A lot of us that hadn't seen anything and we didn't know what was going on inside – uh, no one saw the scrimmages, not at least that I know personally. I didn't go. I've gone to scrimmages in the past, but not this year. Mikey Berkman got the started attack for the Orange. He goes 3-2 and two in the game, so that's a pretty good start for him. It was obviously weird seeing him play the X attack spot and Dordovic playing the left wing. And at first I was like, well, that's super strange. How's he going to fare over there? But when you think about it, when he was running midfield, him and Curry would both kind of come down into that left wing and dodge into the middle of the field, trying to get the high side or then kind of trying to come down underneath kind of a, a mini alley dodge. So that ended up working for him. It wasn't that bad. Another big key in this game was Jacob Fopp winning 15 of 18 draws. That helped fa facilitate this good old-fashioned ramrodding that Syracuse put on poor Holy Cross. Um Cage in the in the goal for Syracuse. I mean, we, we already talked about quickly how Fox and F Friars fared. Cuse started Bobby Gavin in cage. He uh, played pretty well considering the boredom uh, when you when you have a, a whooping like this. Seven saves versus three goals against. So he goes seventy percent between the pipes in a game where it's kind of hard sometimes to to stay up and stay on point because the defense didn't face very much action at all. But in the action that that Gavin faced, he he did well. I had to use Windows calculator to come up with that uh, save percentage. And then Gate, like I said, opted. He opted to keep the suit. I was hoping to see him in re regular gear. I saw him wearing like a, a white windbreaker at one point, and it looked dope in uh, one of the scrimmages and some pictures and stuff like that. But uh, he wore the suit. He wore it well. What are we going to do? Not much more to talk about this game outside of 
Cuse fans are kind of freaking out and they're excited. But then again, this is Holy Cross. And this isn't just Holy Cross from last year. This is a Holy Cross team that had their season canceled last year while everyone else got to play. So they didn't even play a full season. So who knows what kind of of, of exodus they had in terms of players leaving and, and just morale and all that. But for sure, Syracuse, run. They, it was a run-and-gun show the whole game. They were aggressive. They were excited. All good things. So let's move on to the next game that I want to talk about here. That will be UNC and Richmond. Now, this was a hell of a game overall. They said in the broadcast that you got a feeling early on that Richmond just needed to be able to weather that initial UNC storm, and that proved true. UNC, they go up 4-1. to one. Richmond gets it back to 4-3 before Gray scored a goal off the very next face to give UNC a 5-3 lead. So at this point, it's just like, all right, Richmond weathered the storm. They get back within a goal. UNC goes up by two after that, and you're like, ah, maybe this is where the wheels come off. But no, that wasn't the case. Now, one thing I want to say here about Gray real quick is that no one in the country is as good as Chris Gray in unsettled situations. He doesn't need numbers. He just gets the ball. He's stupid aggressive when shit hits the fan and the defense doesn't quite have their their heads about them, and he just goes to the rack and makes things happen. Usually in those situations, he's a goal-scoring threat, and then in a lot more in settled sets, he's a he's a, a an assist-feeding threat, whatnot, but... Either way, back to the game action here. Richmond, they managed a three-goal run that ended with Ryan Dunn sticking a tic-tac-toe goal to get a one-goal lead with less than a minute in the half. So Richmond just you know, kind of kept chipping back here to make this interesting, and, and, and they outscore UNC 4-1 to one over the course of that second quarter. So that was pretty incredible. And then UNC comes out 5-2 third quarter, and then a 3-1 fourth quarter. And they do get the win. They do get some separation. 13-9 to is the final score in this one. But hey, man, the Spiders came out and played a solid game. Everyone said that Richmond's played well in their early scrimmages. It looks like it's true. UNC offensively looked very good, but credit to Richmond here overall in terms of what they were able to pull off. I didn't do the individual stats in that Cuse game. So once again, as I kind of screw things up, we'll go back to the individual stats in that Cuse game quickly. Maybe we won't because it was such a bloodbath. So let's just get into the individual stats here. Uh, If we look at what Richmond put up, Ryan Dunn, three goals, Ryan Lanchbury, three assists. And I believe Ryan Lanchbury had those three assists all early in the game, possibly within that kind of first and second quarter stretch. And then he got quieted. Dalton Young, two and one. That's not bad overall. And then if we come down to see what UNC did, Chris Gray, four and four off 11 shots, only one or only two turnovers. So very productive game for Chris Gray. Jacob Kelly was three and two off five shots. So you see, you kind of get the the idea here. UNC kind of went deep down here into the scoring, had a bunch of guys with just one and two points. Hell of a job overall. Goaltending. Let's see what we have here for goaltending. Uh, where is the goaltending stats? Oh, I forget. It's going to be at the bottom. Colin Krieg. See, he looks, eh, neither. Well, you know, obviously Richmond here, Devin Craven. Craven, he has 16 saves. 13 goals against, so he actually is one of the key factors and one of the reasons why Richmond was able to keep this tight. And Colin Krieg, a little bit shaky here, six saves versus nine goals against, but Richmond is very efficient. Richmond was tough. Richmond played well in transition, so, you know, not unexpected here. Krieg's still a young goalie, and he's got many years here left ahead of him. So overall, this was one of the better games of the weekend. Uh, It was a Friday. This was played on Friday, and uh, credit to Richmond for hanging tough, but UNC, they get the win. Next game, 
I want to talk about here was Hopkins and Towson. And I had said last week, I think it was after Hopkins kind of pulled out their win over Jacksonville and Joey Epstein only, I believe, had an assist in that game that we needed to see Joey Epstein play better lacrosse if Hopkins was going to be a, be a, a, a true threat in the Big Ten and in, in the country at large. We finally saw that reemergence of Epstein. Dude puts up six goals in a dish on the day. Five of those goals were scored consecutively over the second quarter as Hopkins extended their lead and route to this big win. The Hop Faithful and Talking Heads, they are pumped as fuck over this game. But but keep in mind, just like Cuse beat up on a bad team, Towson has not been very good overall either over the last couple of years. They were uh, they're probably they're a far better team than they were last year at six and eight, or maybe not. Um, but that six and eight record was better than the zero and six record in the COVID shortened season. So we don't really know what Towson is yet. But Hopkins coming out with an eighteen twelve win. I think that um, Garrett. Did, let's see here. Garrett Degnan, he goes four and two, and Brendan Grimes, a name that excites a lot of Jays fans because they want to see this kid do big things. He goes for three goals and a dish as well. Tyler Dunn stole 20 of 32 faceoffs and scooped up 10 GBs, so that was a big deal for Hopkins. Defensively, Hopkins looked okay. I mean, you give up 12 goals to Towson, that's not necessarily a great look unless we're wrong about Towson and they have improved greatly from last year's 6-8 and eight team. So defensively, they probably have some stuff to shore up. Goalie play, mediocre throughout the day, but it got the job done and they got the W. But the key here, once again, if Joey Epstein keeps playing like this, Hopkins, they, they could potentially or should almost be a tournament team or at least right there on the fringe of being a tournament team after not being very good last year. They won by a margin against an inferior team is what I'm guessing here. We'll see how Towson ends up faring, but uh, they have lots of time to shore up the defense. You know, they can, they can shore up the things that weren't necessarily great in this game, and we'll see how that progresses here. Uh, all right, move on here. We had a good one. Here between Colgate and High Point, Colgate jumps out to a 5-3 lead at the end of the first. High Point kind of answers back and ends up taking the lead back. It's 8-6 at halftime in favor of High Point. At the end of the third, we are tied up going into the fourth quarter. We, you know, we go even through the fourth quarter. And what really happened here, though, was Jackson Lamb with 19 seconds left for High Point. He sticks the goal to tie things up and to force overtime. And then key here, Colgate, they win the opening faceoff in overtime. And pretty aggressively, I don't know who the midfielder was. He goes right to the rack right off the bat. Parker, Parker Green makes a save on that play. Ball goes back up the other way. High Point takes a timeout. Out of that timeout, Asher Nolting starts in the far back corner, goes around, kind of bananas around X, up the right side, sticks it in overtime. Kind of gets a little bit of the business under the chin as he's doing so, but he sticks it in overtime. High Point ends up winning this game. Huge game. Asher, what can you say about Asher Nolting? I mean, the kid is just absolutely incredible. Uh, if we look at Colgate here, tough game out of them. Brian Minicus, I don't know how to pronounce that. Minicus, maybe it is. Three goals. Rory Connor, two and one. Uh, didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Colgate didn't. We'll see if Parker Green played a factor in that. Asher Nolting, though. Four goals off 12 shots. Pretty productive for him. Braden Maia, one and one. Jackson Lamb, two and oh. So that you kind of see they kind of filled up a bunch of guys putting up two points, one point, uh, trying to help Asher Nolting out. So that's incredible. Hunter Vines here, he gets himself another goal. 
And we look at Parker Green, 13 saves versus 10 shots against, including that key save in overtime. Now, that shot in overtime, it wasn't the greatest shot that was ever taken. But all you can ask is that your goalie be in a good position in a situation like that. Parker Green was in a very good position, made the easy save, and the ball goes back up the other way and they win. So that was a big deal. And I thought that we may have had a decent face-off day here. Nah, no one did great, really, all. So that was kind of the story of that game. Now we're going to move on from this one. And we are going to talk about Maryland and Loyola. Now, the story of this one, Bailey Savio. I've been really, I was really hyped on Bailey Savio at one point. He won 69% of his draws in that 2020 shortened season. He won 52% last season. And then today, uh, yesterday against Maryland, he got waxed by Weirman. On Saturday, Weirman won 19 of 25 draws. He scores two goals with a dish and snagged 11 ground balls. A hell of a stat line here for Weirman. That's like PD LaSala level stat line right there. Maryland, they erased any doubts that I had in this game, in the last game, about their offense functioning without Jared Bernhardt. I wasn't sure how long it would take them to kind of figure out this new flow without having an absolutely dominant ball carrying Dodgers, you know, just a ridiculously aggressive and effective player like Bernhardt was. But, you know, in the end, the, the results are the results. And this is the first time Maryland has scored 20 goals over their first two contests in 97 years. This was the worst ass whooping they've put on Loyola in 60 plus years. So the Maryland defense also on top of it, they were stout to say the least, giving up just 12 shots on cage. I think Loyola ended up taking about 30 shots, but only 12, 12 of them were put on the six by six. So that's huge. They were pesky, didn't give Loyola much room at all. I think that we're, you already probably have seen here initially uh, an Instagram shot of, of that sick goal that Logan Wisnowskis put in the corner early on in that game. Just, in, just an absolute beatdown here that Maryland put on Loyola. We don't know about Loyola yet. We did hear that they've struggled a little bit in their early season scrimmages. Apparently, I forget who they got beaten the first one by, but then Syracuse apparently put it on them uh, last weekend, I believe. So we don't know where they stand yet, despite bringing back a lot of talent. We'll see. But Maryland, we do know where they stand. They are very good, and they are heading to the Dome next weekend to take on Syracuse in a game where they will be retiring Gary Gates' number Add 22, not really retiring it, but, you know, just putting it up in the rafters. So this is going to be huge. Gary Gate, as you know, has a history with Maryland, coached the Maryland girls team for many years. I believe he won a national championship or two or three while he was down there before heading to Syracuse and anchoring the Syracuse girls team before now becoming the, the pimp daddy at Syracuse for the men's team. So that is it for that game. But we uh, I'm excited about next weekend. That is going to be uh, absolutely bonkers here. I got a cat hair or something on my nose here. Um, another... Very good game, and this is a big deal here for, for Utah fans and for the Utes. The Utes pick up their first top 20 win in program history thanks to a Josh Rose goal with just 128 left in the contest. It was Roll's second goal of the game. Vermont All-American faceoff killer 
Tommy Burke, he gets the better of Cole Brams on the day overall. He won 14 of 25 draws. Burke did. But the fact that Brams was, e- was even able to, to, to win those 11, that proves pivotal in a very close game where limiting the possessions that Vermont gets, limiting that, that, that possession disparity between you and your opponent when you're obviously outmatched by that faceoff guy, that was one of the reasons that Utah was able to keep this tight. Brams just loses one or two more faceoffs. This game doesn't necessarily go this way. Tyler Bradbury, he played well, notching two goals and three helpers, while teammate Jordan Hyde contributed a deuce-deuce in the game. And we're out of there. And then Army. Uh, this one, I almost drew up some highlights because at one point, I, for some reason I had in my head that this game went into overtime. It didn't. Army held a 14-11 to 11 lead with about 113 left to play. UMass had the ball. UMass scored off that possession. UMass scored off the next possession to get this to within 14-13, and then Army was able to hold out in the end for the win. As we look at the stats here, UMass got big days out of Kevin Tobin, and Logan, I don't even know. We're not even going to try that. Let's try it. Logan Lijberg, Lijberg. I like that, Lijberg. Maybe that's what it is. We're going to try to see here. And uh, as we come down to look at Army here, Brandon Nick, Brandon Nickturn. Sorry, I often mix Brandon and Brendan's up. Brandon Nickturn is going to be a Twarton watch list type player. He's going to be on that watch list all year. He is a hell of, a, of an attackman. He has been through his entire career at Army. I actually thought he graduated. I wasn't sure early on that he was coming back, but Nick Turn is back, and he is a hell of a attackman. So watch this. He tore Syracuse up last year at the Dome, I think for like eight, nine points or so. In this game, he goes five and three off eight shots with just two turnovers. That's a hell of a stat line right there. And then you just see Army, uh, Reese Burick, Danny Kilbasa, Kabasi. We got some Kabasi sighting here. He has three assists, so Army fills it up here. Uh, Wyatt Schupler, incredible goalkeeper, will want it, will probably end up being an All-American. Again, uh, he ends up with 18 saves against 13 goals against, which is pretty incredible. And then you see his uh, counterpart over here, Matt Note, eight saves versus 14 goals against. So that goalie battle is the story of this game. If Schupler, as usual, doesn't stand on his head like he usually does for Army, Army doesn't win this game. So credit, don't credit Schupler with this win necessarily. It was obviously every win is a team win, but holy crap, man. 18 saves off 13 goals against is a hell of a job here. And then um, Army actually lost the bulk. Oh, no, they didn't lose the bulk of the draws. Uh, Stevie Graber for Army goes 17 of 28 at the faceoff dot to kind of lead Army and help Army win that battle of possession. So considering the Army had a huge advantage at the faceoff dot, they have their goalie stand on his head and go uh, goes for 18 saves in the game. And their lead attackman here, Brendan Brandon Nickturn, goes five and three. Considering that UMass was able to hang in this game and, and get it back to within a goal, you could almost call this a three-goal loss, a two-goal loss, because UMass scored late in the game to, to get it close. But still, credit to UMass. So that I think that proves without a doubt that UMass is legit once again. And we know that Army is legit because Army's kind of always legit. Next game here, I wanted to talk about. And this one, I don't have anything really prepared for. Oh, wait, I clicked on the wrong game here. Uh, Air Force. I have no, I didn't see anything about this game. I wasn't able to watch it at all. So as we kind of look at this one, Denver wins a close one against Utah last week. And we have another one of those scenarios here with Denver and Air Force. Denver has a two-goal lead at the half. They go four and two to spread it out a little bit more over the th- over the third. So it's kind of the slow burn to a four goal victory, outscoring 
Air Force by a goal in each of the first two quarters, and then they outscore them 4-2 in the third and route to exchanging goals in the fourth overall. So let's check out the stat line here. I already did kind of peep this a little bit. Brendan Krause for Air Force goes for six goals. Brandon Dodd, and Brandon Dodd has a has a history, I believe, of playing huge against these ACC teams early on in the season and then not doing as much once they get into their old conference-type foes and things of that sort. But J.J. Silstrap was the story here for Denver. He's 4-1 and one off seven shots. Ted Sullivan, once again, an excellent player. He goes 2-2 two and two for four goals, only took two shots, so he's shooting 100%. Alex Simmons, 3-0. and oh. Richie Connell, 2-1. and one. I want to see Richie Connell kind of get his legs under him within this Denver offense and within this scheme with his new teammates. Richie Connell was an incredible player while he was at Richmond, so I'd like to see him kind of do those things off ball that he did for Richmond. And the story here for me, and this seemed to be the case last year as well, Jack Hanna, 17 shots and only two goals. That is not good enough. And if, if you kind of look at the scoreboard and you say, well, you know, 13-9 is pretty respectable here for Air Force, that's one of the reasons why. And Jack Hanna last year, I talked about it early in the season, was not shooting the ball well early in the season, but ended up kind of shoring it up at some point. And actually, I'll show you that. In this game, 17 shots and only two goals. Now, let's just kind of take a look at his stat line to see kind of how that went for him last year. I'm actually going to load up last year's stats, but if we look at it overall, he ends up going for 37 goals and 10, 10 assists on the season, 47 points across 17 games. So the dude can can fill it up, but you can see that shooting percentage, not great. His That shortened 2020 year, look at the shooting percentage. This year here, even though he put up good numbers, so he's got to improve his shooting because look what his shooting percentage is after two games here. That is absolutely atrocious in terms of the shooting. And it only is atrocious because he is much better than that. And if we go back and we load up, I don't know if I can load up the game by game. Yeah, I can load up the game by game for the 2021 season. What we'll kind of see here is really bad shooting percentages early on. I'm, we're talking he didn't get into the twos even for those first five games before we start seeing him eke up a little bit here, and then we see him finish with a much better shooting percentage as we get through the rest of their games. So maybe he just needs to get heated up a little bit or whatnot, but even this is not a good shooting percentage. But guy gets volume, plays on a good team, and he plays tough lacrosse. He finishes the season with 37-10 and 10 last year, so I hope that he cleans his shooting percentage up because as of right now, it is atrocious. It does not look good. And for Denver to continue to win games, they're going to need for Hannah to be able to put up some more points here. All right, we're going to kill this one. Now we are going to just go to the scoreboard. And actually, you know what? Let's do something here that we haven't done yet. Before I get into the scoreboard, I want to do a new segment here. I want to. Uh, I didn't want to hit hashtags. I want to show you a little bit. Now, if you're, eh, I'm going to skip this for now. I'm going to go to my saved after, and we'll do that at the end of the show. So it'll be a good reason for people to tune in at the end of the show. But kind of let's rip through the scoreboard here. LIU against Siena, easy win for LIU, 14-7. to Like I said, LIU, they might not be able to hang with some of the bigger teams, but they're going to beat these teams that are mid, you know, mid to lower level, and they're going to play some tough lacrosse. Blake Bellin, he goes 4-1, Jake Gillis 2-0, so that's pretty solid. Shoot, Great shooting percentage here out of Blake Bellin. And on the Siena side, Christian Watts goes for three goals. What was the story here with the goalies? Will Mark played well. He wins the goalie battle, making 11 saves off of 
seven goals against, so that was solid there. And at the faceoff dot, what did we see? We saw LA, LIU dominate the faceoff. So that's the story of that game for LIU against Siena. We got UMass and Quinnipiac. They played a tough game, or not UMass, UMass Lowell and Quinnipiac. And uh, Connor Foley, holy crap, for UMass Lowell, four and three, hell of a game for him. Will Abbott, four and two, Ryan Donnery, four and one for Quinnipiac. Not good enough in the end, though, as they lose that one goal game. But let's see where this comes down to here. Why did this game go this way? Quinnipiac gets the win because their goalie played better at the end of the day. Uh, anytime you see kind of a stat line like this where both goalies are, are 40% or below, that's usually a story. So Nick DiMuccio or DiMucco, I think it's DiMuccio or DiMucho, whatever the hell that kid's name is. He ends up having a big day, 17 saves versus just 14 goals against, 55% between the pipes, and then in terms of the faceoff dot. So credit to UMass Lowell because they got beat in the cage. They got beat in at the faceoff dot. Or no, they went, but they 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 win in the cage. No, I screwed that up totally. Credit to UMass Lowell for making this a close game because they got beat in the net and they got beat at the faceoff dot, and they still managed to keep this game tight, 15-14. So Quinnipiac gets the win. Totally butchered that one, guys, but at least I'm talking about as many of these games as I can. I was curious to see how Lehigh was. I was surprised that Lehigh only pulled out the 10-5 win over New Jersey Tech. Christian Mule or Mule, I don't know how to pronounce his name either, four goals. Uh, Quinn Armstrong, three goals for Lehigh. I legitimately thought that we would, and Tommy Schelling only one and one. That's impressive. That's surprising. I thought that the Lehigh would win this game by 10 goals. I would have, ta I would not have expected for it to be this close at all. Uh, Gavin Wilson, two and one, and Gage Adams, two and one for N N uh, New Jersey Tech. As we look at the goalie battle here, James Spence, what do we have here? 14 saves against five goals against. So, I mean, that's a hell of a save percentage right there. And I mean, you look at the score. That kind of saved Lehigh's ass in this game here. And uh, Liam Brown played tough for New Jersey Tech as well, putting up a 64% save percentage. He had 18 saves. So both goalies in this game stood on their heads. And the faceoff watch, Mike Sisselberger, as expected. And that is that's, that even surprised me that much more, that Sisselberger goes 14 of 16. Sisselberger, the best, if not one of the top three or four Faceoff guys in the country. I think probably in terms of draw prowess, Sisselberger probably has it. Him and Burke are probably in league together there. 14 to 16, Lehigh won, and they still only beat New Jersey Tech 10 to 5. So credit to the goalkeeper for New Jersey Tech, Liam Brown, for putting up 18 saves in that game because it was lops. It would have been a bloodbath if he didn't stand on his head the way he did. They easily would have lost by 10 goals. Bellarmine, Marquette, they go into three overtimes. In this one, I don't know who scored the game-winning goal. I am sorry, but uh, yeah, Russell Melendez one and five. Bobby O'Grady four and zero for Marquette. That is a big deal. Kyle Playstead four assists. Benny O'Rourke two assists, and then just a bunch of goal scorers go down the list here. No multi-goal scorers for Bellerman. Everyone, everyone who scored a goal for Bellerman. It was just a one-goal outing here. Story of the game in terms of the keepers. Marquette goalie, Michael Allieri, 12 saves against eight goals against. And then J.C. Higginbottom, 14 saves against nine goals against. So he played really well in cage for Bellarmine. And the story at the faceoff dot here, what do we got? Yeah, Thomas Washington for Marquette, 7 and 9, 78%. And then Luke Williams took the bulk of the draws and goes 6 of 13. So Aiden Fern, 
he uh, keeps this close here for Bellerman, winning nine of sixteen overall, fifty-six. And then uh, why are all these other guys taking faceoffs? As Fern was playing so well, I don't know. But Marquette pulls out the three triple overtime win in that one. Binghamton and Marist. Marist beats Binghamton eleven to nine overall. Marist leading scorer Kevin Polera, Vito Muso. Polera goes three and one. Muso two and two. James Lyons two and two for Marist. Kevin Winkoff for BU goes three and two. Uh, so we had some guys scoring goals here. That wasn't bad. Goalie battle. Teddy Dolan, a very solid keeper for Binghamton. Binghamton has a history of solid keepers with their their head coach right now. Was uh, one of the all time greats at Binghamton uh, in in terms of being in the cage. Uh, we got Teddy Dolan, 13 saves versus 11 goals against, and Anthony Novellano, 13 saves against, 9 goals against. So both goalkeepers above 500. I love seeing when you have kind of a goalie battle going on. In the end, the Marist goalie puts up 59% between the pipes, and Teddy Dolan puts up 54% between the pipes, and kind of there's your scoring margin right there. And then at the faceoff dot, Binghamton kind of dominated the, dominated the faceoff dot. Matthew D'Souza, he goes 10 of 15. Ross Chazenow, 4 of 7. So Binghamton loses the game by 2 despite winning at the faceoff dot. And uh, that's that's the story, though. Marist ends up with a two-goal win. What else we got here? Boston U Merrimack, 12 to 10. Providence Bryant, 19-7. Hobart puts the beat down on Canisius. Tommy Mott for Hobart. He ends up with five goals and four helpers off 63% shooting. Ryan Archer, 3-4. and four. For Hobart. So Hobart filled it up here. Let's see what the goalkeepers did. Kevin Holtby for Hobart. Very solid goalkeeper as well. I'm a, I'm a Hobart fan if I'm not watching Syracuse here. So I watch him enough to know these guys. 11 saves versus 9 goals against. That's solid. And then at the faceoff dot, what happened here? Adam Shea for Hobart wins 21 of 29. So there is the big margin. Your goalkeeper wins the battle. Your faceoff guys win the battle. And you got guys who can just score for days. Hobart wins that one. Ohio State, Cleveland State, Ohio State put it on them. Stony Brook and Fairfield, they actually had a pretty good game here. Let's talk about Ohio State quick. Colby Smith, hell of a player, five goals. James Gurr, two and one. You see Colby Smith puts up the big numbers here, five goals, and then everybody else is kind of in the area of three points or down. Uh, they end up kind of beating up on Cleveland State here a little bit. Caton Johnson, both goalies were under under 50% here. Caton Johnson, though, puts up a solid showing in a, in a game that they won by a margin on. Story here, look at that. Justin Inacio at the faceoff dot for Ohio State. 20 of 22. 91% with 30, uh, 13 ground balls. Did he put up any points? A goal and an assist as well. You're starting to see more and more and more faceoff guys contributing on the offensive side of the field, even if it's just a goal or two. Um, and it, that's incredible to see because when you can dominate the possession battle and you can put up a couple of points, I mean, that's that it goes without saying you're an invaluable player. Justin Inacio, obviously an All-American caliber player and invaluable to that Ohio State team. Hopefully he stays healthy for them and they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. They were kind of picked, I think, to finish towards the bottom of the Big Ten because the Big Ten's a pretty damn solid conference, but... We'll see what happens. Stony Brook here gets the 13-12 win over Fairfield. Matt Anderson of Stony Brook, 3-1. Kevin Mack, 1-3. And, and for Fairfield, Bryce Ford goes 6-2 to try to help Fairfield keep pace. But Stony Brook ends up getting the win in cage for Stony Brook. Both goalies, 52% save percentages. We have 13 saves for Anthony Palma of Stony Brook. Colin Consoli. 
for Fairfield, 14 saves. So that was a great battle there. And then the faceoff dot, fairly even overall. Uh, uh, you know, I won't even cover it actually because it's close enough between all the guys that took draws. Lafayette beats VMI 14 to 6. Navy beats Mercer 15 to 5. St. Joseph's beats St. Bonaventure 12 to 11. I'm only going to talk about the St. Joe's game really quick because the St. Joseph's, you're going to see it here as I roll this, has a an attackman that sticks a behind the back, uh, one-handed behind the back underhand. It was a pretty sick goal here, but St. Joseph's ends up picking up the one-goal win over St. Bonaventure, St. Bonaventure, one of the newer D, uh, D1 teams. Navy beats Mercer 15-5. to five. What do we got here? Patrick's, uh, we're going to not talk about all this. Yeah, I guess, you know what? We talked about enough here. Let's move on from the game recaps and let's look at some of these disgusting highlights that we got to see roll on Instagram. I got to make sure I'm muted. Otherwise, these are going to play loud. Joey Epstein, just a hell of a job overall. We, we already saw some of these earlier in the show here as we showed Epstein play well. That was a huge goal and the dude just took a beating on that one. Here is Asher Nolting's game winner against Colgate. Run off and celebrate, man. I'm a big Asher Nolting fan. Love talking about the kid. Here is Maya scoring a sick backhand. That was filthy. Maya can finish with some flair. White of Rutgers. Rutgers put it on St. John's. I don't think I talked about that. So Rutgers puts it on St. John's. They win by, I think, about a 10 goal. Oh, wait. No, that was Stony Brook. I'm, or, uh, yeah, that was Stony Brook. So never mind. White of Stony Brook. That is a nice goal. We're going to watch that one twice. I love seeing that. Here's that underhand underhand behind the back. That is just filthy. We're going to watch that one twice, too. you got to have some balls to pull that one off, folks. Another, another goal by Joey Epstein. Glad to see Joey Epstein get back into this. Here is Tucker Dordovic's BTB. We're going to see this one from three different angles. Nice little stutter. Boom. Runs past him, sticks it. We have one more angle here from the backside. Look at that. That is not too shabby, folks. Another, is this a Joey Epstein again? Oh, here's a great takeaway. Look at that. Boom. I took your candy. Let's watch that again. Over the head check. Boom. Gone. That's beautiful. Nice trail check there. And this is the, the last. We're going to end with this. Look at this. Logan Wisnowskis against Loyola. Look at that beast-ass shot. Oh, it does not get any prettier than that. That has to absolutely pump you up. So that is it, guys. That is the show. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm going to, you know, we'll just keep doing this. We're just going to keep rambling. I'll go through in a systematic way, talk about the first handful of games, and then we'll just kind of make sure we touch on as many games as we can every week. We'll probably start getting into the lower divisions, Division Two and Division Three games a little bit as well. As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I did miss the preview show last week, but I will be back for the preview show on Thursday of this upcoming week. So tune in, audio-only preview show. Uh, everywhere where you get your podcasts on Thursday, and then we're back on Sunday to do the weekend wrap-up and all that. We got a buttload of games, though, that start, I think, about 11 or noon or so today. So beyond the Super Bowl, we can watch lacrosse all day leading into the Super Bowl. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. 